the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mr. Deborah with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The journey to a COVID-19 vaccine began decades ago with research on earlier coronaviruses. Scientists built on that with months more of research and development, worldwide cooperation, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of diverse volunteers. Finally, they arrived at a safe, effective vaccine. The next step on the journey is yours. Discover the facts at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program, we're going to talk with um, my uh, next guest, who is a nationally recognized physician with uh, um, expertise in the fields of nutrition, allergy, environmental medicine, Lyme disease, and the healing of mind, body, and spirit as a uh, unified whole. He's also the co-founder of the New England Center for for Holistic Medicine and um, the author of a new book called uh, Recovery from Lyme Disease. His name is Dr. Daniel Kinderlayer. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks uh, for being here. Thanks for having me, Tom. Um, Let's let's start out with the, the, the real simple thing. What what exactly is Lyme disease, and, and what are the symptoms? How, how is it diagnosed? You know, that sounds like a simple, straightforward question. <laughs> it, it turns out not to be. Uh, um, but in its very, very basic, most simple, Lyme disease is a bacterial infection. It, um, the vector is a tick, the deer tick, which is very, very small like two millimeters, hard to see. And when it attaches, it can transmit different microbes, including Borrelia burgdorferi, which is a uh, which is the microbe. It's a spirochete uh, that that causes Lyme disease. So Lyme disease in its very early stages can cause a rash and then a flu-like syndrome. Many people don't get the rash. Many people don't get the flu-like syndrome. Then in later stages, it tends to cause some pretty significant 
symptoms all over the body, but mainly in the musculoskeletal system, that is uh, muscle aches and joint pains, fatigue, and in the neurological system. And this is really important uh, because it can cause everything from uh, severe headaches, cognitive difficulties. I mean, people have been misdiagnosed with dementia uh, to neuropathic pain and different palsies and weakness and significantly mood disorders, anxiety, panic attacks, depression, suicides, uh, irritability and uh, rage disorders, even you know psychosis and bipolar disease have been, have been caused by these infections. But I want to add in here that um, Lyme disease is often not just Lyme disease. That is, when that tick attaches, it can transmit this consortium of different microbes. Uh, it's not uncommon for a patient of mine to have two, three, four different infections that are tick-borne. Those other microbes are referred, referred to collectively as co-infections, but they significantly make this illness uh, more severe and more challenging to treat. And before we get into treatment, um, Dan, how, how is there a way to catch it early? Does it ever become chronic? Okay, well, there's, there is a way to catch it early if, A, one sees the tick attachment, which in my patient population is maybe 15% of the time. Uh, like I said, these ticks are very small, and they like to hide in warm, moist places. So think in the scalp, uh, in the groin, in the armpit, between the buttocks. I mean, these are not places we usually look for ticks, even though, unfortunately, we should be. Or maybe, fortunately, if you have an intimate partner. And um, so if it's caught early and treated appropriately, then it, it is curable. Absolutely. But one of the complications is that these co-infections are becoming more and more the rule rather than the exception. Mm. That, so you're not dealing with just Lyme. You're dealing with Lyme, Babesia, Bartonella, Mycoplasma, and so on. And so that even if you think you're treating the Lyme early because you saw the tick and you saw a rash, the rashes occur only in less than half the people who get Lyme, and only less than half of them actually see a bullseye rash, you know, something with a pale center and one or more rings, uh, which is more emblematic of the Lyme, of the Lyme rash. Uh, you know, if it's caught early and treated appropriately, absolutely curable. Uh, unfortunately, what's been demonstrated is that it's now well accepted that 10 to 20% of people go on to chronic illness. And this is now dubbed post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, PTLDS, which is, a, which is a nomenclature that doctors like myself avoid because it sounds like, well, the Lyme's gone and it's something else, which is actually what the infectious disease doctors are claiming. In fact, in my experience where I see patients with so-called PTLDS day in, day out, they um, uh, they all are still infected with Lyme, and they still have one or more co-infections, but they've also been sick for years, decades sometimes, 
And therefore, there's all sorts of downstream effects of having been uh, chronically inflamed and having all sorts of problems of detoxification and hormone dysregulation. The, the neuropsychiatric symptoms can be quite severe, and then, of course, these people are relegated to the psychiatrist, and no one pays attention to their somatic symptoms anymore. It, it's quite a big deal, I mean, when you think about how many people are involved, because you know, I was referring to that 10 to 20% of people with a, who have been diagnosed and treated with acute Lyme disease that go on to chronic illness. But we don't know. There's millions of people who were never diagnosed with acute Lyme disease who've just gone on to develop chronic illness, and they've had labels like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome, or they might just be told they have chronic migraines and and. Uh, non-specific autoimmune disorders. Uh, some specific autoimmune d- disorders are triggered by these bugs. Um, and again, the neuropsychiatric issues, which which can be quite prominent. And like I said, once you're put in in that bucket, it, it's hard to to get anything else out of it in terms of what might be an organic etiology to to why you're having a mood disorder. Which is more prevalent in the contraction of Lyme disease, um, picking up ticks from, from house pets like dogs and cats or, or being outdoors and being directly um, attached to... Uh, well, yeah, good question. So, so I'll broaden that a little bit. There are areas that are, that are highly endemic. The Northeast, which is where I got Lyme disease, all three of my daughters got Lyme disease while we lived in Massachusetts, um, so that it's really prominent there. It's prominent in the Great Lakes states. It's prominent in the Northwest. So these are areas with relatively high moisture because the ticks mm. prefer more humid environments. But guess what? The, it's it's all over now. You can get Lyme in every state. So it, it's it's a big deal. I mean, you're not protected. You're not 100% safe anywhere. I'm sorry to say. Um, it, we do know we do know that people with pets have an indoor i should say if they have an indoor pet that they do have an increased risk of getting Lyme disease but i suspect most cases are from getting it outdoors and it's it's unfortunately really easy to get you know just a quick story uh when i was moving from massachusetts um just the last day before we moved, I said to my youngest daughter, she was probably about 18 at that point, I said, did you go to the bank and take your money out? She said, yes, and she held up that little white envelope that had probably 75 bucks in it. And she said, I can't believe it, there's a deer tick on here. Now, understand, this was January 31st in <laughs> Massachusetts, right? This is the winter in Massachusetts. She walks out the back door on McAdam, to the car, drives to the bank, comes back. You know, where did the tick come from? Well, it, it jumped off a tree, obviously, and they actually do that. They sense your, your heat, and, and they will jump on you. Um, what I'm saying is that <laughs> these little buggers, they're, they're somewhat ubiquitous, and it's, it's a scary world out there. Is there a way um, to protect yourself against that by wearing... I, I don't know, some kind of a spray on uh, insect repellent? Yeah, so good question. It, um, I, I would say the first thing is 
you know, the, the what can I say? The the uh, the people in Cape Cod are not going to appreciate this. I I would not I would not vacation in places that are highly endemic. I mean, really, it's just exposing yourself when when there are other places to go. Um, so. You know, I certainly want to be careful, particularly in these highly endemic places. But more personally, um, it's suggested to wear light-colored clothes, better to be able to see a tick on the clothes, uh, wearing long pants and tucking the pants into the socks to help prevent those ticks from climbing up under under your pants. None of these work 100%. And then uh, even better is soaking your clothes in permethrin, or you can buy at REI and Eastern Mountain Sports, places like that. They actually have clothes that have been pre-treated with permethrin, and that's probably more effective than putting a tick repellent on you. I don't really recommend the DDT tick repellents. Ticks are getting pretty good at not caring about that. There are natural tick repellents. I don't know how effective they are. The most important thing is really after you've been outside, particularly in a Lyme endemic area, to hopefully have someone you're intimate with and do some really careful body checks. And because the sooner the tick is taken off of you, the less likely it'll transmit infection. And, you know, I'm glad that came up because people will read that the tick has to be attached at least 24 to 48 hours before it can transmit infection. It is not true. Uh, infection has been documented in tick attachments less than 24 hours. There are some tick-borne infections that we know are transmitted almost instantaneously, like Powassan virus and Rickettsia infections. So um, even in the act of attachment, there there could be transmission of these bugs. Um, so even a short-lived attachment is is suspect. And how effective are uh, the flea and tick repellents that, that people get for their dogs and cats? Is is that a pretty wise precaution for people who have dogs and cats, especially if they're indoor and outdoor? You know, it's a good question because when, so when I lived in Massachusetts, we had, we had uh, these special collars that we put on our dog that actually does help prevent tick attachment. But guess what? It doesn't prevent the the ticks from just hanging out on the dog, and which we saw. We saw these ticks, you know, like in the dog's hair, and good luck, you know, getting it out. Um, yeah. It, um, I, I don't know if they've improved on that. I, seriously, it's it's a good question, and I don't know. My guest is Dr. Daniel Kinderler. He has uh, written a new book called Recovery from Lyme Disease. Um, Dan, I have to take a, uh, a short break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Yeah. All right, of great. I'm happy to do it. All right, thanks, Dan. Um, if you're listening to us on uh, 92.1 FM WFOV, our voice is radio in Flint. 
They are a broadcast service of the uh, Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with uh, more of the Tom Sumner Program and my guest, uh, Dr. Daniel Kinderlehrer, right after this. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. 
We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, my guest this hour is Dr. Daniel Kinderlehrer. He is the author of a new book called Recovery from Lyme Disease. Um, Dan, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No problem. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> um you mentioned in the the last segment that you had uh, had the disease, um, that you had contracted uh, Lyme disease. Is uh, and, and you talked about it being a tick-borne illness. Is are, are ticks the only way that people and animals can get Lyme disease? And do people and animals react the same way? Another interesting question. Um, there are a lot of animals who have these bugs inside them, but they don't get sick. Those are considered host animals. The deers being, you know, is, is, that's how the deer tick got its name, right? The deers can have lots of Lyme bugs, that is the Borrelia burgdorferi microbes inside, but they don't get sick. Uh, the white mice might be an even more important host. And but you know once the tick takes a blood meal from that animal, then the tick is infected. And then if if the tick takes a blood meal from you, then you got the bug. Okay, so that that's how it arrives in humans. Now that's the most common way, but there are other ways to get it. There are other biting insects that it is suspected. So the, it's still a bit controversial. That is, could some horseflies or mosquitoes um, also transmit this infection? Some people claim yes. Uh, it can be. It definitely can be transmitted mother to child in utero. So a mother with an active infection can transmit it to their unborn child, and the child would be born with this. And then another big question is, can it? be sexually transmitted. You know, I mentioned that it's a spirochete. So is syphilis. They're they're both spirochetes. And uh and we know that we know that spirochetes are sexually uh transmitted in the form of syphilis. It's it's still not a hundred percent clear. It's still not a hundred percent clear whether it can be transmitted from one person to another. Uh you know there's there's data on both sides of that. So uh, the main way is still is still being exposed to a tick, you know. And I just realized, you know, you're in Michigan, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> the very first case of Lyme disease uh, in the United States was actually in Wisconsin in mm. 1971. A dermatologist uh, saw the bullseye rash, and it, this had been reported for decades in the European literature, <clears throat> and he recognized it, treated with penicillin, and the guy was good. 
1977 is when there was this, an outbreak of so-called juvenile rheumatoid arthritis in Lyme, Connecticut, and that's when there was an investigation by the rheumatology department at Yale and the CDC, and and that's when they coined the term Lyme disease. Well, it turns out all these kids in the block did not have juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. They had Lyme disease, and it was mostly manifesting in their joints. Now, when I say mostly, the investigators remember we're rheumatologists so what do rheumatologists look at they look at the musculoskeletal system what was largely overlooked at that point were the severe neurological problems associated with Lyme disease which frankly are worse than than the musculoskeletal issues and um, there's been a lot of controversy really ever since then um, we can talk about that if you want. Um, well, I, I want to move on to treatment a little bit, and and you mentioned uh, penicillin. Are antibiotics the uh, uh, best weapon in fighting Lyme disease? Yeah, the way you put it, I'd have to answer yes, they are, but with caution and with care. Um, so... Remember that most of the people coming into my office have been sick for years, undiagnosed, and their bodies have been in a state of, of excess inflammation. They have a lot of disruption in their regulatory systems, their nervous system, their immune system, their hormones, and they have detoxification, overwhelm issues. And so we may be dealing in what I would call infrastructure issues for a while before we would even consider going on antibiotics. Um, among antibiotics, we have choices between different pharmaceutical, i.e. prescription antibiotics, and biological or, or uh, botanical natural antibiotics, of which there are many and, and quite effective. So in general, while I treat my patients as individuals. You know, I don't have a cookbook that I can use. <laughs> but but um, that's, why, that's why my book is almost 400 pages long, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it gets pretty complex. But uh, in general, if, if the patient uh, t is tolerant of this, I usually like to get them on a combination of pharmaceutical antibiotics and botanical antimicrobials the herbal antibiotics, as well as support for all those systems that are dysregulated, make sure their hormones in balance, make sure that they're on, an appro they're on appropriate diets, um, and their detoxification systems are supported. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. Now, you mentioned um, that, that some people can have, a, uh, like, flu-like symptoms, um, that could easily be considered something else. Is that why mm -hmm. Lyme disease goes uh, for a long time without being diagnosed often? Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons. Uh, you nailed it. That is, <clears throat> most people don't see the tick attachment. Most people don't see a rash. But they might come down. About 30% will get this flu syndrome. Usually the flu syndrome does not have any significant respiratory symptoms or gastrointestinal symptoms. It can have some, but usually not a big deal. 
Uh, it's usually more in the way of a lot of aching and headache and fatigue and and uh, and sometimes fevers. So it's, but often is misdiagnosed as simply a viral episode or the flu, which is what I thought mine was the first round when it when it first happened to me. But remember, the flu doesn't happen in the summer. The most the most common uh, incidence of acute Lyme disease is, is probably spring and summer and then fall. And we do occasionally see it in the winter. You know, I was I mentioned the story about right. my daughter in January in Massachusetts. That's a, that's another misnomer that that uh, ticks are not active. They they slow down apparently in the winter, but but they're still there. They're still out there. You mentioned um, some alternative types of uh, antibiotics, botanicals, and so on. Are there are, are there other foods that that help mitigate the the symptoms of Lyme disease? So, are you are there foods that mitigate the symptoms? Um, diet is very important. Um, it, like everything else, uh, the program is individualized to each patient. But I would say the one thing that's crucial is that people don't have sugar, which suppresses the immune system, and that they don't have alcohol, which causes the release of something called heat shock proteins, which are uh, highly inflammatory, and also puts an added strain on the liver. There are other reasons to avoid those two foods because they, they support the growth of candida or yeast in our bodies. But what's not uncommon at all is that the chronic infection leads to multiple sensitivities, particularly food. So more than 50% of my patients are going to be sensitive to gluten and often to dairy and eggs. Um, some people develop insulin resistance like, like pre-diabetics have, and they have to really decrease their, their carbohydrate as well as their sugar and alcohol load. Um, the, all of these issues in someone who's had these chronic infections can result in added inflammation and a lot of added symptoms when they uh, ingest those foods. What happens with the progression of the uh of the disease and how can how can you test for its presence if if the symptoms are misleading is there for example a blood test that confirms whether someone has Lyme disease or not you know that's a really good question so there are blood tests and then there are blood tests <laughs> um, you know, sadly, the most I, you know used... it's, it that sounds like a funny thing to say, Dan. But having had a lot of blood tests for a lot of different things, I, I think I kind of know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the most commonly used blood test for Lyme disease, called a Lyme ELISA antibody test, it has up to sixty percent false negatives. Wow. So think about that. Um, I mean. Think about a pregnancy test that had 60% false negatives. You know, w- would it be on the market? No. Is yeah, I don't think so. Yes. I mean, it's the, you know, so you can imagine the politics involved here. Okay. And then, and then the CDC has come up with very restrictive criteria of the next stage, which is called a Western blot. 
So there's so if you test positive to this Lyme ELISA test, then they say, well, there could be a false positive. We need you to do the Western blot, but then they restrict the criteria of the Western blot. Bottom line is, if you you probably only have about a 25% chance of getting diagnosed if you follow those those rules and the CDC criteria. So the standard commercial labs do not do a good job uh, testing for Lyme. I, I simply don't use them. They do occasionally come up with some significant positives, but, but not reliably so. Um, there are labs that specialize in this. Uh, I recommend Igenex Laboratories in Palo Alto, California, who do nothing but tick-borne disease testing. If a patient wants to get tested, what I would <clears throat> offer to them is they can call my office and we can arrange it. Now, there'll be a fee that is really just for our time um, getting the test done. And then when I get the test results, I, I'll call the patient and spend five or ten minutes on the phone going over them. So there, there's a, a modest fee for that. But we do this for a whole lot of patients um, who have not been properly tested but who think that they have this condition. Uh, what about um, doctors? Uh, are there things that doctors can do and be on the lookout for to know if they if they have a patient that, that has Lyme disease? Well, you just said if they know. <laughs> the problem is they don't know. I mean, this, the state of ignorance of doctors here in the United States and elsewhere, it's not just the United but the state of ignorance is is really um, it's overwhelming. Uh, so I just want to very simply describe this this Lyme wars issue, which is that the the Infectious Disease Association claims that Lyme disease is easily diagnosed, easily treated, ten days, three weeks antibiotics, you're good, and then there's this other group, myself included, which says actually not so easily diagnosed, not so easily treated, often often complicated by co-infections and these other downstream inflammatory issues that I mentioned, and it can take long-term treatment. So, you know, there you go. There, there's this. It, it, I would say that Lyme disease is the most controversial medical issue in the U.S. today, and 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 unfortunately most doctors say well the infectious disease side of america they're the experts i'm going to i'm going to listen to them even as i say that there's more and more doctors who realize that oh you know what it it's actually not true and they're recognizing there're more and more doctors recognizing you know what lyme can do and how challenging it is to treat and i have lots of doctors who refer patients to me i have lots of doctors who are patients um it's it's um but it's very confusing for patients because often they are tested with a bad test for Lyme disease. They know you don't have Lyme. It's, you have fibromyalgia. Or so many patients are just get these labels that don't help them. They're just offered symptomatic treatment, but, but the underlying infection is not recognized. So in, in your experience, uh, Dan, how did you um, discover or or diagnosed that that you had been infected with Lyme disease and what was your treatment protocol okay so August 1996 beautiful summertime in Massachusetts 
And I suddenly come down with a high fever, like 140 degrees, shaking chills and sweats and body aches, lasted two or three days. And then I was okay. And I thought, like you suggested, well, I guess it was some sort of virus. It was weird. I hadn't seen a tick on my body. I hadn't seen a rash. And I was fine until the next week it came again. And then the week after that, it happened again. And, you know, at that point, I could deny it no longer. <laughs> and so I went to see a friend and colleague. He ran a bunch of tests, and it came back positive for Lyme. And I went on antibiotics thinking, okay, in a few weeks, I'll be fine. But I wasn't. What happened is I was getting worse, and, and it manifested with inability to sleep. Um, just instead of being this, like, Olympic sleeper with my head on the pillow falling asleep within a minute and <clears throat> and being good for six or seven hours, you know, now I was just up most of the night and and I was plagued with anxiety over the roof. Anxiety, oh, this impending doom and overwhelm that was just there nine out of ten, 24-7. And, and uh so we had done the first test. We did another test for Lyme. It was even more positive. I called up uh, a person who was considered maybe the Lyme expert in the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was he was uh, prime investigator in Lyme, Connecticut, when it was when when it was found there, and uh, and he was at my uh, he was at my alma mater, Tufts New England Medical Center Hospital. And I described my case to him, and here's what he said. He said, well, you don't have Lyme. And I said, well, I don't have Lyme, but, but why not? And he said, well, if you did, you'd be better by now, because I'd been on a month of antibiotics. And I said, well, well what about the tests, you know, like twice? These were slam-dunk tests. And he said, false positive. They were wrong. Well, and then I said, well, what do I have? And he said, something else. So... <laughs> you can see the bias. You can see the bias right there. So he's categorically wrong. I mean, I had Lyme disease. <clears throat> I had Lyme disease. There was just no question about that. But he was right. I had something else. And this is where it gets complicated and confusing. So I had a co-infection called Babesia. Babesia, which is a malaria-like protozoa, a common co-infection, it was mostly under the radar at that point. Now, if I was taking my history now, I could say, oh, you got Babesia because these high fevers and sweats and so on, that's Babesia. That's not Lyme disease. It accompanied Lyme disease. And then later on, I got Bartonella from another tick bite. And, and my worst symptoms were the neuropsychiatric symptoms. And when you're feeling severe anxiety and depression, Basically, I just felt like I'm crazy, you know, it's like, you know, and the idea of having to deal with infections in my brain was just too overwhelming. But basically, it took a long time on different antimicrobials um, and whole lots of support from family and friends because I was suicidal. Um, it was really, really rough going. But when I got better, I said, you know, look, I want to do everything I can to help patients not go through what I've been through. Um, and for the past 20 years or so, my practice has been devoted to just seeing people with tick-borne infections. And it's been incredibly gratifying because these people come in who've been sick for years, and, or like I said, decades, and most of them get better. 
about 90% of my patients get somewhere between 80 and 100% better. And, um, and it's just such a wonderful thing. I feel like I've helped people get their lives back. Well, I can see why you wanted to write the book. The book is called Recovery from Lyme Disease by uh, Dr. Daniel Kinderlair. Um, Dan, when does the, is the book out yet or no, it comes out, uh, what, the 16th this month? That's right. It comes out on the March 16th, so right around the corner. Um, but it's I, available for pre-order now on <clears throat> on any of the book sites you go to. And I'm always curious when whenever I have guests on the show, Dan, I always like to uh, ask them to to share with listeners where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, the book is a great place to start when it comes out uh, this month. But um, do you have a, a website? You know, the book has a website, which is Recovery from Lyme, recoveryfromlyme.com. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, if there is one website to go to, would, I would probably suggest LymeDisease.org, which is the website of the California Lyme Disease Association. Um, they, they really have the most information, I think, of, of anybody. Um, there are tons of other websites. The, the National Lyme Disease Association has, has a website, and, and the Interna International Lyme and, and, Associated, <clears throat> and Associated Disease Society, which is a professional organization for doctors. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. So they have, um, they have a website. They have yearly conferences and all sorts of other programs. Well, this is... Um fascinating and I, we've probably learned more about Lyme disease today than, than anybody we've answered questions people aren't even asking I think um, but mm -hmm. I but I appreciate you uh, sharing your your wealth of knowledge and uh, and your time with me this morning well thanks so much for this opportunity Tom I'm really uh, I really do want to spread the word I mean obviously you know I want I'm promoting my book but but really, really, I, I want to help people um, because th this is a dev devastating illness. You know, we've all heard of, of the post-COVID long hauler syndrome. That's what Lyme, chronic Lyme disease can look at. I mean, those of us who've, who deal with chronic Lyme look at those patients and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Um, it, it's, you know, there's just a ton of inflammation and all sorts of dysregulation going on in, in these people's bodies that's been triggered by a microbe. So, um, you know, it, the people with Lyme disease, you know, I want to let them know that there is, you know, that most people get better with appropriate treatment. It's not always easy. It can take, it can take a long time. Um, and it, sometimes it could be a few steps forward and one step back uh, as we peel the onion, so to speak. But, um, but, you know, I would say to listeners, if you've been dealing with a chronic co complaints, and the most common would be, would be fatigue, sleep problems, muscle aches, joint pains, headaches, impaired cognition, and mood problems. Now, those are the most common, and then I could add like dozens more, right? But, you know, if you've been suffering from stuff like that, 
then really actively consider the possibility that you have Lyme. And if you want to get properly tested, you can call the office, and for a nominal fee, we'll arrange that. Well, Dan, thanks so much uh, again, and um, keep up the good work. Okay, thanks again for having me. Take care, Tom. All right, bye-bye. That was Dr. Daniel Kinderlair. His new book comes out uh, the 16th of March of uh, 21, called Recovery from Lyme Disease. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, we're going to let them squeeze in a few words. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back. Hey, (laughs) this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. 
where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I'd like to take you now on wings of song, as it were, and try and help you forget, perhaps for a while, your drab, wretched lives. <laughs> Here's a song all about springtime in general, and in particular about one of the many delightful pastimes that the coming of spring affords us all. Spring is here, a suffering is here Life is skittles and life is beer I think the loveliest time of the year is the spring I do, don't you? Of course you do But there's one thing that makes spring complete for me And makes every Sunday a treat for me all the world seems in tune on a spring afternoon When we're poisoning pigeons in the park <laughs> Every Sunday you'll see my sweetheart and me As we poison the pigeons in the park When they see us coming, the birdies all try and hide but they still go for peanuts when coated with cyanide. The sun's shining bright, everything seems all right when we're poisoning pigeons in the park. La 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 We've gained notoriety and caused much anxiety in the Audubon Society with our games. They call it impiety and lack of propriety and quite a variety of unpleasant names. But it's not against any religion to want to dispose of a pigeon. So why don't you come with me and we'll poison the pigeons in the park and maybe we'll do in a squirrel or two while we're poisoning pigeons in the park we'll murder them all amid laughter and merriment 
except for the few we take home to experiment. My pulse will be quickening with each drop of strickening we feed to a pigeon. It just takes a smidgen to poison a vision in the park. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
it up for today's edition of the uh, Tom Sumner program. In fact, there's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow at 9 a.m. with another edition of the show. I want to thank uh, all of the guests on the show today, this past hour, Dr. Daniel Kinderler, talking about his book coming out this month, Recovery from Lyme Disease. Before that, we talked with Dr. Richard Gunderman, author of Contagion, looking at plagues, pandemics, and cures from the Black Death to COVID-19 and beyond. And we started out this morning with um, best-selling author and wellness expert Robert Glazer. Good night, everybody. The program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.